Hello and welcome to the October instalment of the Shameless Book Club, where we dive deep into the critically acclaimed worldwide bestseller from Swedish columnist and blogger Frederick Barkman, a man called Uva. Uva is the kind of man who points at people he dislikes as if they're burglars caught outside his bedroom window. He has staunch principles, strict routines, and a very short fuse. He's also deep in the grips of grief after losing his beloved wife, Sonia. He doesn't know it yet, but when a boisterous young family moves in next door, his life is about to change. A Man Called Uva was published in English in 2014 and has gone on to sell more than 2.8 million copies in over a dozen languages right around the world. In 2015, it was even made into a movie. Of course, I am joined by my beloved co-workers and friends, Annabelle Lee and Zara McDonald. How are we, guys? Hello. Hello. Howdy. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) We're kicking off today's show with a voicemail from listener Ashley, who is enchanted with the emotion in this book. Hey, Mission Zara. This is Ashley just calling in to weigh in on A Man Called Ove. When I first started reading it, I definitely questioned your choice, given that a lot of your listeners are based in Melbourne and we're going through quite a tough time during a harsh lockdown. But I'm really glad I persevered um, because I absolutely loved the ending. It was so wholesome and made all the sadness worth it cried in a very good way yeah which I have to say is probably means it's my favorite book club book choice so far huge call but yeah definitely looking forward to the next one thanks so much guys bye guys I am right there with Ashley I cried reading this book like I haven't cried in a very very long time Annabelle let's start with you When did it get you? When did the tears start to come? Because for me, it was on page 30. What about you? Well, I don't really get emotional when I read books all that often. And so when you guys were saying how much you cried during the beginning, I was just like, okay, sure. I don't think it's going to happen for me. And then the second (laughs) half hit and it like, it ruined me. It was when Uwe and Sonia's love story started to be explained a little bit more because when I started reading, I didn't know whether there would be a love story in it because I usually like to read about romance and stuff. But then it turned into a love story or bits of it turned into a love story. And I found myself looking forward to the flashback Sonia and Uwe love story chapters, even when I knew deep down it was going to end sadly. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Zara? Did you cry on page 30? Yeah, I did. And the thing I found most remarkable about this book, particularly at the start, is it's set up so obviously in those first few pages that his wife is no longer with him and we don't know why and we don't know the story but we know she's dead and the whole time I'm like you know when you feel like kind of a smug reader as well by the way when you're like this is obvious like I haven't been told but this is obvious when everybody else thinks the same and knows the same and that's what the the author's trying to do and then I got to the page where it is confirmed that yes his wife isn't with him anymore and I burst into tears And I thought it was so Mm. remarkable that I knew this was going to happen. I had been thinking about it for so long. And yet when it was written down on the page, I I just fell apart. And I texted you guys and I think I said, I don't know if I'm going to cry through this book because I'm in lockdown and I'm feeling emotional or because this book is that good. And I'm still not really sure, but I did cry through the whole thing. Look, well, it did become so popular, what, six years ago, seven years ago in Sweden when it was released in 2013. So it's probably not that you're crying due to lockdown. I think 
people all around the world have been caught off guard by the emotion and how poignantly sadness and grief was told by Frederick Barkman. I do want to read out page 31. It wasn't page 30, I lied. Page 31, because I don't even know if I'll be able to get through this passage without crying or welling up. But what took me by surprise was how simply Frederick Barkman writes, but also how effectively. Like, I've never had an author make me cry in quite the way that Frederick Barkman made me cry in this book. Page 31 reads, They've bumped up the electricity prices again, he informs her as he gets to his feet. He looks at her for a long time. Finally, he puts his hand carefully on the big boulder and caresses it tenderly from side to side, as if touching her cheek. I miss you, he whispers. It's been six months since she died but Uva still inspects the whole house twice a day to feel the radiators and check that she hasn't sneakily turned up the heating. I don't know why it makes me so sad. Like, how does someone write so simply? He doesn't use many adjectives. It's not like he's using really flowery language. He's just saying it as is, and yet it had such a profound effect on me. No, I agree. And, And even though, Zara, like you said, you could have guessed a lot of the endings to each little plot line. Frederick still managed to surprise us with the way he introduced like new bits of information. It was like a heartbreaking new layer of information. And it kind of felt like to me, I don't know if you guys felt like this, but it felt like watching scenes in a movie, like a beautifully done cinematography mm. for some reason, where the director has like really delicately dropped something huge and the audience gasps. For example, when <laughs> you, um, <laughs> when you find out who Jimmy was and who his mother was and with that mm. domestic violence background, that was heartbreaking the way he just drops that so simply, like you said, Mish, and it's just so impactful. It's so interesting because I don't think I've ever read writing like it. Like the simplicity genuinely astounded me. It's not like, as you said, Mish, there are layers of fancy words here or complicated sentences that are designed to actually sound smarter than they are. It is genuinely language used to perfection. Like you read stuff like this and you're like, fuck, I wish I could write like this because the words that he chose and the sentences that he crafted and the paragraphs as they were put together was structured in such a way that every climax was so stupidly powerful. I also think one thing that struck me in the middle of the book was the translator did an incredible job, like huge, huge mm. credit to the the man who translated this book. I went to the first page about halfway through because I was like, who translated this? Because I can't imagine how hard it must be translating something this beautiful where every word is designed to punch. They would have to actually pour over every single word to make sure the power wasn't lost. Speaking of power, the power in that final scene or one of the final scenes where Uva receives the drawings of him by Pavane's children and up the top they've written grandfather or grandpa and he puts that at the top of his fridge that got me and again not mucking around not using all this ridiculous intelligent language what I love about the writing in this book is that he's not trying to prove a point that he's smarter than everyone else he's just telling the story in a way that's accessible and beautiful and simple. And I think this book's genius is in its simplicity. I also think this book's genius in that, yes, it made us all cry and it made us all feel really deep emotions. It was also really light in parts. Yes, you cried and yes, you felt sad, but he was poking fun at the situation as well. Like how many times did Uva try to take his life and you found yourself giggling at the ridiculousness of it all? I don't know how an author makes a suicide attempt so funny. Did you find the same, Zara? Yeah, I don't cry in books and I don't laugh out loud either. Like I'm quite a hard reader and I was like giggling out loud, which is such a dorky thing to do when you're reading a book. And then like 
my boyfriend would turn around and be like, well, what's so funny? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to fucking explain the entire book so I can explain this joke for you. So I found it very funny because I am very drawn to dry sense of humor and it was so dry and it was so dark, like incredibly darkly funny. When it comes to the punchy, powerful, sad lines though, I did take a photo of one straight away because I was like floored again, because this is going to be the same thing for me as it was for you. I'm going to struggle to get it out. But it was when they were kind of detailing the early years of the relationship between Uva and Sonia, which I know you love too, Annabelle. And there was this passage where Frederick wrote, not many men of his kind were made anymore, Sonia had understood. So she was holding on to this one. Maybe he didn't write her poems or serenade her with songs or come home with expensive gifts. But no other boy had gone the wrong way on the train for hours every day just because he liked sitting next to her while she spoke. And when she took hold of his lower arm, thick as her thigh, and tickled him <laughs> under that sulky... Oh, see, both of you are losing it and I can't even get this out. <laughs> and tickled him until that sulky boy's face opened up in a smile. It was like a plaster cast cracking around a piece of jewellery. And when this happened, it was as if something started singing inside of Sonia and they only belonged to her, those moments. I'm crying. Like, what the fuck is that? How is that put together so beautifully? That's got to be one of my favourite parts their of the love. book. Yeah, the beginning parts of yeah. their love when Frederick describes Uwe on the train, just sitting on the train for hours going in the opposite direction where he needed to be. And, like, their first date, oh, it's just beautiful. Mm, Like, him getting his clothes pressed so that he can go back on the train with her on the way there. And then the first date when he tries to get up out of the chair because he's so ashamed about lying. And she says, that doesn't matter. I don't know what it is about this love story. Like, if it was so perfect that they were such polar opposites... It was just so pure. Like I think it was such a beautiful depiction of pure, uncomplicated love. And I understand why complicated love stories are so often told because they can be so interesting. But the simplicity of Uva and Sonia's love for each other was completely enchanting. And it also made me think, is that a generational thing? Can love be that uncomplicated and that unmessy and I guess that unspoken It feels like he didn't even need to tell her how he felt. She just implicitly knew. I think there are a couple of things there. I think that any relationship that lasts a lifetime and who you are still best friends with at the end of that lifetime is going to be written in such a way where it does seem desperately uncomplicated. The other thing I would say as well is that, yes, you say it's an uncomplicated love story, but it just as easily could have been very complicated. Like they both had so much to deal with. And I think that's why I found such power in it because they overcame so much and it wasn't actually a very uncomplicated story at all. I think for me, the power was in the fact they both seemed like actually completely compassionate people who came Mm. together and because they both had such huge hearts they had such a big love story Uwe's heart was literally too big oh Oh, (laughs) actually unpopular opinion I found that a bit a bit I I didn't like that either I loved it I was explaining it to my housemate and she burst into tears and she hadn't even read the book (laughs) (laughs) don't get too far ahead don't get too far ahead because at the end of the episode I'm gonna ask you guys what worked and what didn't and to be Sorry, spoiler alert, didn't work for me either, Zara. But before we get there, we need to hear from our next hotline caller. We have listener Jamie. Hi, Zara and Michelle. My name's Jamie, and I just wanted to share some of my thoughts on my absolute favourite read this year. I've never read a book that has evoked so many emotions out of me. I laughed out loud more than I could count, and I cried so many tears. This book possesses so much depth, it is very thought-provoking, and there is plenty to unbox. I think unlike many others, I loved O from the start. I enjoyed his wittiness and grumpiness and I knew there was just a big softy under there at heart. I couldn't wait to emerge myself in his world every day. 
I fell deeply in love with his character and I missed him when I finished. I'll be recommending this to everyone. It's so incredibly well written. Thank you so much. All right, guys, it's time to really hone in on these characters. We have to start with Uva. He was, of course, the main character, the protagonist of this book, and he's a slightly divisive one. I will say this book has extremely positive reviews. The vast majority of readers did fall in love with Uva, but it feels like you do fall in one of two camps. You either hate him or you adore him. Where did you guys sit? Annabelle, we'll start with you. I really loved him. I feel like a lot of people would be able to maybe relate to him or think of someone in their own life that reminds them of Uwe. And for me, all that made me feel was was empathy for him throughout the entire book, for his loss in Sonia, but also everything he'd been through up until that point. The one thing that I didn't understand about Uwe was his age. I didn't really realise how young <laughs> oh. he was for an old man. Annabelle, I am so glad. I am so glad you brought this up. When I read, the literal first three words in this book are Uva is 59. How this man is 59 riled me up for the entirety of the book. I adore this book, don't get me wrong. But this was like a thorn in my fucking side. The entire time I was reading it going, he sounds like he's 69 or 79. There is no way this man is my parents' age. Zara, do you agree? Oh, yeah. I think I had forgotten those first three words. I Mm. had forgotten that they'd set him up as a 59-year-old man. And then I think there's a point about a third of the way in the book where you're reminded. And I was like, hang on a second. This has kind of spun me out a bit. But... Like, as much as I didn't think it was particularly realistic, I also didn't care that much, Mish. Like, I wasn't hung up on it at all because I thought the story was powerful (laughs) enough. Like, I just didn't care. It's funny, though, because the whole time, even at the end, I was like, I need to give this book to my mom. Like, my mom would love this story. She has so many of her (laughs) closest friends are the best friends of my late grandmother who are all in their 80s and 90s. Mm. And I was like, she'll love it. Mm. She loves old people. And then I was like, fucking hell, my mom's 59. Like, how (laughs) does this work? Well, this is the thing, right? I'm surprised to hear you say you don't care because I felt like the old man trope was so central to who Uva was. Like the old grumpy man who's over the hill who doesn't understand technology but only doesn't understand it has a clear disdain for it and disdain for modernity it didn't add up with his age like none of that added up and it was such a simple detail and I feel like the whole book was so believable until that one number Mm. and I feel like in a book where you're exploring the differences between generations I cannot wrap my head around this one mistake. It made me doubt the character. I think that maybe we're looking at it too literally in that assuming that it's a book all about the difference in generations. I don't actually think it is. It's about a man who has like lived a certain life and lived a certain way and will never be able to shake that. And I don't think that just comes back to age. Like the way that Uva interacted with people socially, the way he was raised, you know, his obsession with principles wasn't so much tied to his age, but just the world and life that he came from. That's why I didn't think it was as important. Annabelle, what do you think? For me, it was just a matter of I love picturing storylines in my head and picturing the world that an author creates. And so I was picturing the man from Up, you know, the cartoon movie Up. (laughs) And I kept having to try to remind myself, no, he's he's a little too old for this kind of character you've created because 
all those traits that defined that character from Up, I had placed onto Uwe, but it turns out they're not exactly the same. I have to really disagree with what you said, Zara, that it's just who he is and it's not a reflection of his generation or it wasn't this generational divide. Because if that was the case, he wouldn't continually complain about how kids these days are raised or how no one has a proper job anymore. And he constantly compared himself to younger people and how people worked in IT or people didn't know how to fix a tire on a car anymore. That very much pointed to a generational difference for me and yet maybe it's a a Sweden thing that maybe it's more indicative of that culture but looking at my own life the 59 year old men in my life are nothing like this however the 79 year old men in my life are I guess to me it doesn't really matter as much. Like I don't believe that it was 59 is the perfect number, but I guess I wasn't annoyed by it because I do fundamentally believe that he can have those views and still kind of lament kids these days at 59. Like I still know a lot of grumpy old 50-something-year-olds. Like I still know a lot of people mm. like that who resent technology. Like I don't mm. think you have to hit 70 and to have those perceptions or beliefs or values. Okay, fair enough. Before we move on, Annabelle, I want to know – What did you think of all the car analogies? Because this was a book filled with analogies about Saabs and Audis and BMWs. I was just about to say the one similarity I found with Uwe, a 59-year-old man, compared to my dad, who's also around that age, was the car analogies. He's obsessed with cars. So it really reminded me of my dad because to me it shows how pride kind of comes out in funny ways for some people like for Uber that possession of a car meant so much to him and he placed so much meaning onto it and it was like a really illustrative way of showing that so I didn't mind it I really liked the symbolism all around in the book I thought that I don't know maybe as a reader sometimes I feel stupid and being able to pick up on like oh I wonder what the cat meant like I wonder if the cat was Sonia <laughs> it just like when you pick up on those things it makes you feel like a an accomplished reader <laughs> <laughs> I love feeling like an accomplished reader <laughs> The car thing, I I like I wasn't drawn to it. Like it wasn't part of the book where I was like, oh, this is super, super powerful. I thought it did a good job in painting how Uva was like obsessed to the nth degree with loyalty and how important loyalty and later principle was. And I think it did a really good job for me in kind of maybe hinting to this point that Uva had maybe a social disorder of some kind or was kind of had a different perception of social interactions. I think the car thing really pushed that point home and painted a very believable picture in that sense for me. Mm. I totally agree with that, Zara. It's really interesting that you bring up the social disorder thing because I think Frederick Barkman tried to hint towards that at the very end. I agree. I read this story thinking, okay, he's antisocial, but is he antisocial to a level that is normal and just on the spectrum of human, I guess, interaction? Or is he antisocial in a way that it might be something deeper at play? And I just found this one line really telling. This is on page 278. The sales assistant looks at Jimmy with a sort of twitching around his eyes that Uva seems adept at generating in people with whom he comes into contact. This is so frequent that one could possibly name a syndrome after him. I found that medicalization really telling. Is that what you were getting at as well, Zara? Yeah, 100%. And then I read this profile in the New York Times about Frederick Barkman and the book. And I found it very interesting when they were talking about how the book came to be. And for those who don't know, basically Frederick Barkman was freelance writing at the time for a Swedish magazine called Cafe. And a fellow colleague wrote a blog post about a grumpy man named Uva who exploded with rage when he was buying tickets to an art museum. And the colleague had actually seen this happen. 
And Frederick Bachman told the New York Times, my wife read that blog post and said, this is what life is like with you. He then said, I'm not very socially competent. I'm not great at talking to people. My wife tends to say, your volume is always at one or 11, never in between. And he said, there's a lot of me in him. When we get angry, it's about a principle. And when we get angry, because people don't understand why we're angry. So I thought all of this is hinting towards some sort of picture that, yes, maybe we don't need answers to. But I think going back to the car thing a little bit, Mish, I think that was important. Even though I wasn't really drawn to it and I don't love car analogies, it did do a good job in the book of kind of explaining away what it wanted to. Yeah, I agree. It was a good device. Let's move on from Uva to our other favorite characters. Who would you guys name? I personally fell absolutely head over heels in love with Sonia. I know she was obviously dead while this story was being told, but the flashback scenes and the way she was depicted as just full of color and life and bubbliness just made me completely adore her. Annabelle, who was your favorite character? Well, apart from Uwe, I loved him, but because of his grumpiness, I found that made all the other characters like a little more likable. (laughs) So I'd say that my favorite was Pavane because she could put up with Uwe. Even though she found him annoying, their relationship still progressed and it still grew. And there's a line in the book and it goes, and then he utters seven words, which Pavane will always remember as the loveliest compliment he'll ever give her because you are not a complete twit. And I just love their dynamic (laughs) and it just seems so real. And I love how, yeah, how she takes his personality on head on. I loved that. I'm so glad you pulled that line out, Annabelle. (laughs) I mean, I actually loved all the women in this book and I think they were kind of the unsung heroes of the entire novel. I mean, when you think about it, they were all the most empathetic, compassionate, caring people. I can think of Sonia and Anita who cared very deeply for their husbands and they also cared very deeply for Jimmy's mum before she died and then they cared very deeply for Jimmy. Sonia taking care of her students, Pavane taking care of Uva and Jimmy and her family, even Pavane's little daughters caring for Uva and warming him up. Mm. Like all of those women, I think, played a fundamental role in making Uva the really likable character we came to know. Coming up after the break, what are the great life lessons to take away from a man called Uva? But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, guys, it's time for the biggest chat of them all. What are the lessons we take away from this book? But before we get there, we have another hotline message from Brittany. Hi, ladies. I'm just calling in to talk about this month's book club, A Man Called Ove. Upon starting this book, I really didn't like Ove as he was a bit of a grumpy old man, sort of how I've been feeling during isolation in Melbourne. A quote that really stood out to me was, he was a man of black and white and she was colour, all the colour he had. Grieving is tough and everyone grieves differently. Ove lost the love of his life and I think that just shows how important it is to give kindness to anyone even if you don't know them because you don't know what's going on in their life. I'm really excited to see what next month's book club is. Thanks, ladies. I'm really happy that Brittany called in and left this message about what she took away from the book because it is a really simple life lesson, but it's certainly one that stood out to me when I closed the final cover as well. What about you, Zara? What was the lesson that you'll be taking away from a man called Uva? I mean, I think there are a couple, but I think they're all kind of tied very neatly together. I think when The Independent was reviewing this book, they made a note that the book swept across Europe as a word of mouth bestseller, a domino effect that suggests community spirit and social responsibility isn't quite so lacking as we're often told it is. I did like that observation. I think that we are 
far more kind of interested and curious and desperate for community spirit and community interaction than maybe we let on. And I wondered as I finished this book, if there's something in the idea that we should be making an effort with the people around us in our physical, you know, spaces more than we probably do. And that community can be incredibly empowering. I think about my parents and they have always made such an incredible effort to get to know the people in their physical orbit, their neighbours. And it's not something I've ever done. And I kind of wonder why, like even the thought of it is a bit overwhelming, I guess. But I think this story in particular proved to me how much beauty can come from intergenerational relationships and relationships with people you wouldn't normally meet unless you were kind of in their physical space. What about you, Annabelle? I wrote down the same thing. I wrote down the importance of community, that even when you might register like a sad emotion like grief or loneliness or defeat as the feeling that's overwhelming you at a certain point, there's always a community around you that you can lean on. Like you might need to sometimes actively reach out like your parents do Zara or in Uwe's case, they might literally come knocking at your door. But like human interaction can often be distracting like it can often be the distraction that some people might need to feel that little bit more full what about you Mish yeah well this is the thing it's it's also a lesson that I took from the book but I think it's what sometimes made the book feel a little bit unrelatable for me and I don't know if it's because I've in my adult years anyway always lived close to the city or in apartments like with people living on top of each other but I wish I had relationships with my neighbors I wish there was this community feeling to where I live I could not name a single person in my apartment building right now and what does that say and I I almost at times I couldn't imagine this world where neighbors play such a seminal role in each other's lives when typically day to day we are all so busy we all work we all have a million things on a million different family and friends we want to see maybe that neighborly connection isn't something that our generation really taps into it did feel sometimes like a very idyllic suburban reality that I would only find in a TV show like Neighbours. Yeah. And sometimes I found that a a tiny bit, I don't know, it just stuck in my head being like, does this happen though? And if it does happen, please call the hotline and tell us because I'd love to hear of people who actually belong to a community like this. Did it did it harm your, I guess, sense of reality and sense of realism with this book, Zara? Well, I think it helps that it's set in Sweden. And when you hear stuff like that, you're like, well, that could just be a magical faraway place that, you know, I don't really understand. Australia might be different. I think the thing that I took from it, because I agree with you, as much as I say, like, maybe I should be getting to, to know the people in my apartment building or whatever, the reality is I might not. You know, the busyness of day to day may get in the way. But I guess the point that I am trying to take from it is it doesn't have to be as literal as getting to know my neighbours, but, you know, maybe actually engaging properly with my barista in the morning rather than kind of hastily being on the phone to you, Mish, every time I'm ordering a coffee or whatever it might be. I think it's stuff like that where it's like, you know, opening your eyes and actually getting to know the people around you. I also think, and I, I think that you guys may feel the same given we're all in Melbourne, that it was a really beautiful time to read the book. I know one of our hotline listeners said it was a bit hard to read in lockdown, but we're in the middle of a lockdown, a Melbourne lockdown, that is almost overwhelmingly protecting elderly people and the vulnerable. And I know that there's debates back and forth about Uber's age and what that means, but I think fundamentally we're, we're talking here about getting along with people that we wouldn't normally get along with. We're talking about giving people the benefit of the doubt that may be from a different generation. And I think it's a reminder of why we've spent the year doing what we have, a reminder of why these people are so fundamental and important to community. I found that to be a huge one for me. I think giving people the benefit of the doubt and giving them multiple chances 
so that you can finally hear their story and understand why they are the way they are was a huge one for me. I don't think I give people many chances. I don't think anyone in our generation really does. We're so quick to discount people, so quick to write people off. We often don't think about what's happened to them before we've met them to make them the way they are. Annabelle, did you feel that? Yeah, I did. I think giving people the benefit of the doubt is something that I would like to think that I do. And reading this book, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but sometimes when I'm like walking down the street, especially during lockdown, when I, you know, got to walk for like an hour or two a day, I would look at people and think, I wonder what their story is because everyone has their own story and Mm. you know in in our own heads we're living our own story and it's often like me 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 but thinking about the people around us and all the stuff that people are going through in the world it's just really interesting to think about how their day is going in the context of their life I don't know that's a bit tangenty Mm. but I think that hearing a story like this from Uwe's perspective like I know it's written in third person but you hear a lot about what goes on in his head is just like something that I never really think about even though I do like to think that I give people the benefit of the doubt it's hard to put yourself in someone like Uwe's shoes it's so funny you say that Annabelle because as you were saying that like I, so I sometimes walk past people and wonder like you know like what's happened to you or how did you get to where you are or you know what's your story it kind of reminds me of like seeing someone at a very fir- surface level or meeting someone at a very surface level and stumbling on their social media profile later and seeing all these layers to them and, you know, all this context of their life that you never normally would be able to see. And it kind of blows my mind a little bit that you can kind of have really surface interactions with people that do have, you know, much deeper experiences. And I know we've got so sentimental right now and quite thoughtful, (laughs) but I think it's a great time to have these conversations. And yes, they might be very Pollyanna and very idealistic, but I think they're important reminders, even if you take 10% of that away. Mm. Now, guys, I do want to get to my favorite part of each episode, which is when I hear your ratings and what worked and what didn't work for you. But before we get there, we told the listeners in our book club Facebook group, if you're not in there, join us, Shameless Podcast Book Club on Facebook. We told them, okay, we're going to include three hotline messages in the next episode. We could not go past Patrice's hotline message. She's brought us up to four because this was the funniest book club hotline message we have ever received in the history of book club thus far. Here is what Patrice had to say. So this was the second Shameless Book Club book that I didn't like in a row. I can 100% see the appeal of this book, but I just couldn't do it. I completely understood why Uwe was the way he was and everyone was telling me um, as it goes on you learn to love him but I just could not do it. Like I get that he loved his wife and he couldn't see a future without her in it but like even when when she was alive he was a miserable old sod. Like her dying didn't change his personality even when he was, when she was alive, he was grumpy. He didn't tolerate anyone but her. He was rude, inconsiderate, and just plain old mean. And I know people want to be like, oh, but he's a cute little old man. But this man is 59 years old. He is not a cute little old man. He is a grumpy person who needs a Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry, mate. That being said, though, I did really enjoy the writing style itself. But, yeah, I just could not get into the book. I couldn't get past the fact that he was 59. Like... What? Wow. So I'm- Patrice <laughs> fucking hated Uber. <laughs> I mean, no mincing the old words, eh? <laughs> I love her passion. <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys, though? Obviously, Patrice is giving this book maybe a one or two out of ten. But Zara, tell me what's your rating and what worked and what didn't. I think I'd give it a nine 
out of 10. I loved the book. I really loved the book. It is the kind of book that you just want to hold close and give to everybody that you know, in my experience anyway. I think the only things that didn't work is there was the occasional thing that felt like a little bit too cliche or a little bit too corny, like the huge heart or what what, what else? Sometimes the cat. Sometimes the cat was pretty corny. Oh, yeah. The, oh, I actually quite liked the cat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know you were trying to help my point, but I just didn't help myself. Sometimes it was just pushed a little bit too far, those kind of cliches, but generally adored mm. the book very little, I could say, that was wrong with it. What about you, Annabelle? I agree. Sometimes it felt cliche. I would give it an 8.5 just because I have never cried so much. And because I'm not a crier, it was very unfamiliar to me. And I don't know whether it would be a book Like maybe it would be a book that I would reread, but I would need to be in a specific mood. And even though Mm. there were like, it was like a happy kind of sadness a lot of the time. But even so, I'd much rather read something like chick lit that has a bit of romance that's kind of fun. (laughs) Try not to psychoanalyze Annabelle not wanting to feel her feelings. (laughs) Annabelle wants to go back to Red, White and Royal Blue and read that again. (laughs) Personal fave. Look, guys, I agree with you. I I liked what you said then, Annabelle, that it was quite a nice kind of sadness. It was like a nourishing Mm. sadness. They were nourishing tears every time they came out. I think because it made me feel and feel so deeply but also laugh, I have to give it an 8.5. I would say, though, that I did find some of the writing a little bit circular. Like often the structure of each paragraph was really, really similar and that he'd start with an anecdote and then in a circular way that anecdote or that sentence that really stood out was brought back at the end. And I'm not denying it's an effective writing tool and clearly Frederick Barkman has fucking killed it. He sold 2.8 million copies around the world. However, I just got a little bit tired of it, maybe three quarters of the way in around that like 180 to 200 page mark. I just felt like it dragged a little bit and it was a little bit repetitive with some of the analogies and the stories. That said, what a gorgeous book. Absolutely a book I'll be recommending to people in my life. Not my parents, though, because they would be so offended that this man is supposedly 59. Thank you so much for joining us for the October instalment of the Shameless Book Club. Coming up next month, it is November, and we are reading Ghosts, the fiction debut by the best-selling author of Everything I Know About Love, Dolly Alderton. This read has been all over our Instagram feeds, and after having Dolly on an In Conversation episode earlier this month, we are absolutely itching to sink our teeth into the world of food writer Nina Dean. You can pick up a copy of Ghosts via the link in our show notes. Until next month, keep up to date with us. Of course, we drop Monday and Thursday episodes. We're also on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Chuck us a follow on Spotify and that's it. Bye, guys. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.